0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert.
0: And I'm Sarah Doughty. And our subject for today is known as being a paranoid tyrant and a megalomaniac. He's rumored to have committed incest with his sisters and to have elevated his horse to the consulship. And he gets his nickname, which means Little Boots, because his father used to dress him up in these cute little army sandals and take him on campaign with him.
1: And this is actually relevant to some of the events of today as Sarah is taping her sandals back together as they broke. (laughs) Yes, I
0: broke them on my way into recording and was hobbling around. So I guess I'm... Like Caligula in one respect.
1: Caligula was the third emperor of Rome. His real name is Gaius Caesar, but none of us call him that. But he was so unpopular that it's hard to know what's really true and what isn't about him. Because guess what? The Roman historians really didn't like him. So... Their accounts are almost completely unreliable. Encyclopedia Britannica says, accounts of his reign by ancient historians are so biased against him that the truth is almost impossible to disentangle. Which Which is where we got our title. (laughs) That
0: always makes us a little
1: bit nervous, but it also usually means it's going to be a fun podcast. So let's see how it goes. To give a little family history, uh, Gaius Caesar was born in AD 12, the great-grandson of Augustus. And he's actually related to the emperor on both sides. And he
0: was partly raised in the household of Augustus's wife, Empress Livia. And that's where we're going to start this family history because she's known for her intrigues. And those very intrigues make his role possible in an indirect sort of way. So Livia is probably best known for plotting on behalf of her son, who wasn't Augustus's son. It was her son by her first marriage, Tiberius. And the thing is, even though Augustus didn't have a legitimate son, he wasn't interested in making his stepson, Tiberius, his heir. No, he wanted pretty much anybody else. Yeah, but but Livia wasn't going to have that. And, hey, the chosen heirs just kind of kept on dying. And eventually, <laughs> thanks to Livia, perhaps. Yeah, thanks to Livia, maybe. And um, eventually, Augustus is like, all right, well, I guess I'll settle on Tiberius.
1: And it's rumored that Livia may even have done in Augustus himself when it seemed that he was wavering on his commitment to Tiberius as heir. She was a motivated woman. Yeah, Livia.
0: A, a devoted mother, apparently. So Tiberius does become emperor, and he's not terrible. He's a pretty competent general. <laughs> Damning
1: with faint praise.
0: <laughs> well, and, and he's a he's a competent statesman as well. But he's uncomfortable in this position that his mother's machinations have forced him into. And so as he gets older, he removes himself more and more from public life and eventually spends the last 10 years of his life in this semi-retirement in Capri, which you've got to admit, that's a weird thing for an emperor to do.
1: Well, and (laughs) that's not the only weird thing he did. This is where all the bizarro rumors start, because Tiberius on Capri uh, no holds barred. He starts uh, pl- planning are these things, planned planning orgies with men and women. There are uh, girls and boys dressed up as nude nymphs and uh, Pan to wander around the woods. Uh, we've got Egyptian pornography and the part that I can't say. <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna have to do. It's
0: really terrible. He maybe h- hires little kids to act as minnows and um, swim around and nip at him under the water. So if you ever get asked to play Sharks and Minnows, make sure it's not <laughs>
1: Tiberius's version. But while Tiberius is off in this freaky retirement, he's letting the guy he left in charge, the Praetorian prefect Lucius Elias Seannis, get a little too powerful.
0: We have a little note on names, too. I think we're going to go with the um, reconstructed classical names instead of the modern pronunciations, but We might go back and forth,
1: just to warn you. But Sianus started thinking at some point that he would do away with the heirs and perhaps become emperor himself. But Tiberius has got other problems, and he's dealing with them in another
0: kind of way. He's worried that his nephew and heir the general Germanicus might be having ideas kind of similar to Sejanus' Treasonous ideas. Yeah, treasonous ideas, thinking that he doesn't want to wait around for the old emperor, who's off in retirement, to actually die. So mysteriously, Germanicus dies on campaign in Syria in AD 19, likely on Tiberius's orders. Then in 23, Germanicus's son Drusus dies, and then in 31, his son Julius Caesar Nero dies. And in 33, his widow Agrippina dies. So we've got this
1: whole family, almost the whole family, wiped out. So there's just one son left, who is, of course, Gaius, or little Caligula. But back to our Sianus plot plotline. Tiberius may have done away with one of his own heirs, Germanicus himself, but Sianus takes care of his other heir, who's Tiberius' own son, Drusus who died under strange circumstances. So eventually, Sejanus only has three people in his way. We have the Emperor Tiberius, Germanicus's surviving son, Caligula, and Drusus's son, Tiberius Gamullus. So the heirs of the original heirs, and then the emperor himself.
0: So Sejanus plots
1: to kill the whole family. He's going to
0: wipe them all out. But he's found out before he can execute his plan. So he and the rest of the Praetorian prefect are arrested and strangled and actually torn to pieces by a mob. So no light punishment here for for plotters. So... We've got Caligula now as an heir to the emperor, and with his position about as secure as it can be in imperial Rome, the young Caligula goes off to live with his uncle at the kind of freaky Capri Villa
1: in AD 31. And this is the point where his cruelty may have made its first appearance, and it's also when he may have started incestuous relationships with his sisters, again, to those not entirely trustworthy accounts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But by March 37, Tiberius dies. Of course, we've got to throw in the possibility that Caligula himself did Tiberius in and smothered maybe... Smothered him with a pillow. Yeah, which is a, a cruel way to go, I guess. But um, there's one little problem still for for our main guy here. He's not the sole heir, and he's supposed to share the throne with his cousin, Tiberius
1: Gemulus, But that's obviously not going to work out. Of course not. So the Praetorian prefect, Nevius Cordus Sutorius Macro, and the Senate decide that Caligula will be the sole ruler. And it's not long before his cousin, Tiberius Gemellus winds up dead.
0: So people are pretty happy with their young emperor Caligula, though. You know, they've had Tiberius, who's... Then this sort of sour old man who lives in Capri all the time and never really bothers much with things the average people are gonna like, like circuses and games. So they have this 24, 25 year old new emperor, and he's a blood relative of Augustus, who obviously is a popular guy, and he seems like he's gonna be a pretty fair, level headed ruler. I mean, the first thing he does is reimburse Romans who had been financially crushed under Tiberius's oppressive taxes.
1: When he gets rid of the sales tax, he offers amnesty for people who are imprisoned or exiled under Tiberius, and he starts staging games and entertainment for the people. Which sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? But <laughs> Sounds like a Medici tactic.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, things take a turn, though. And at about seven months into his reign, Caligula gets very, very sick, and the people are really upset about this. And he recovers. And some historians think that his illness drove him mad. Others say that the evidence for that is really murky and some of it is just plain made up. You know, maybe it's another sort of smear campaign by later historians. But whatever happens, whether the illness drives him to insanity or if his sort of cruel megalomaniac side just appears several months into his reign, things start to go downhill for Caligula.
1: Yeah, it gets very, very weird. And all of this stuff happens, or not, in a very short span of time. And it's almost easier to contemplate it thematically rather than chronologically. So that's what we're going to do. He isn't loyal to his supporters. He drives Macro, who was the prefect we talked about, to commit suicide and this was the man who'd helped him secure his throne, a man who'd taken risks for him.
0: So that's a thats a bad start already if you're not um, keeping the people who are most loyal to you alive and close to you. And, you
1: know, you, you'll need allies throughout your reign. So that's our first bullet point. And our second one is that he thinks he's divine, which, as we've learned in previous podcasts, is a risky stance to take. He replaces Olympian heads with his own. He almost provokes a Jewish revolt by ordering in the year 40 that he be worshipped in the temple. Herod Agrippa persuades him to recall the order.
0: Which is a pretty good call. And um, we have some archaeological evidence to back this up, too. In 2003, excavations in the Roman Forum confirmed that he had incorporated the ancient temple of Castor and Pollux into his own palace, which is Totally sacrilegious,
1: and um, it's probably refitted after his reign. Well, and now on to perhaps the most persistent of the rumors about him, which was his strange relationship with his sisters, especially Drusilla. And it's possible that he was contemplating some sort of Ptolemy-style brother-sister alliance. Cleopatra. Yes. And three of his sisters get huge public honors. They were included in the Soldier's Oath of Allegiance. And some very sensationalized rumors have him impregnating Drusilla and then ripping out her womb in his impatience to see the baby. But Drusilla does die in
0: 38. Probably not because of that. (laughs) Um, But When she dies, he consecrates her as a goddess. So she's the first Roman woman to be declared a a god by the emperor like this. It's a very unusual
1: thing to do. And a very strange honor. He banished his remaining two sisters in 39 after he learned that one of their lovers and the widower of Drusilla were involved in a plot against him. So Caligula obviously
0: has these strange personal inclinations, which get him into trouble down the road, but his politics also aren't anything, they don't endear him to the public in any way. He's a megalomaniac, as we've mentioned several times already, and he basically rules part-time, because he's so busy staging all these elaborate proofs of his own importance. And one example of this, a, a very famous example, is when he builds a bridge of... Ships across the Bay of Naples in thirty nine, and then rides across them wearing Alexander's breastplate, all to to disprove the prophecy that he had as much of a chance of becoming emperor as riding a horse across the bay. So it's just this weird thing, you know, maybe uh, one of the made up stories about um, Caligula, but just a, a
1: a good peek into his character. Yeah, very very insecure. And he also wasted time concocting extraordinary methods of torture, like covering someone in honey and releasing the bees, or feeding them to animals, or shutting them up in tiny cages. And the other problem is that no one was safe from his wrath, and he couldn't be trusted, and also couldn't trust anyone else. He got more and more paranoid the farther into his reign that he got. I mean,
0: the the macro relationship proves this. uh, Somebody who... Clearly should have been a trusted ally of his, done in.
1: He supposedly made it an offense for anyone to look at him. Another thing he was very insecure about, he was balding, but very hirsute on the rest of his body. But you
0: can't be a part-time emperor, you know, spending all your money on parties and torturing and not go broke eventually. A lesson. Yeah, it's a lesson for any future emperors out there. So soon enough, Caligula has nearly bankrupted the public treasury. So he starts doing some pretty unpopular things like reinstating treason trials for his own financial benefit, confiscating the property of the elite citizens, and bumping up the taxes. And... According to the BBC, he may have also figured that he needed some sort of military glory to uh, validate his reign, but he couldn't be bothered with it, either because of a lack of funds, you know, he just had already spent most of his money on other stuff,
1: or because he wasn't interested. In the year 40, he plundered Gaul and headed north, but... He must not have done too impressive of a job because his triumph consisted solely of fake Germans, slaves dressed up like Gauls. And he was planning on heading across the Channel to invade Britain, but stopped for some reason, and instead he had his men go after Neptune.
0: Yeah, he figured he had defeated Neptune somehow, and his men were going to collect seashells, which they considered spoils of the conquered sea god. So declaring war
1: on gods, that's... Another major step for Caligula, I think. Despite his personal strangeness, his biggest mistakes were angering the Senate and the Praetorian Guard. He didn't pay the Guard. And even if you don't have money you still find some way to pay your guard. That's a major, major mistake
0: on Caligula's part. And he goes out of his way to humiliate the Senate. And the best rumor about him ever, in my opinion, is that he promotes his horse, Incatatus, to the consulship. And we, of course, talked about this in our yeah. battle horse episode. Um, Incatatus was not uh, not going to make the list just on his battle horse <laughs> status alone. So we made him a bonus horse just because what other horses are senators?
1: So some of these senators and guard members start plotting. And in January 41, Caligula was killed at the Palatine Games by a tribune of the Praetorian Guard and others. He's stabbed in the genitals, if that gives you an idea of what people thought of him. And his wife and baby daughter were killed, too, along with most of his family. The guard spares his uncle Claudius, who becomes the next emperor, and
0: only the common people really mourn Caligula because he had spent so much on games and entertainments for them and uh, couldn't really bankrupt them.
1: But going back to that whole disentanglement idea, with few reliable sources, it's been very difficult for historians to decide what to make of him, this insane-sounding, spoiled, paranoid man. And... One thing to consider is that he may have had a really twisted sense of humor. Yeah,
0: historian Michael Grant wrote that... Caligula had an irrepressible, bizarre sense of the ridiculous, deliberately designed to shock, but frequently taken by his alarmed subjects too seriously. Notoriously absurd traditions, such as the story that he intended to give a consulship to his favorite horse, Incatatus, no doubt originated from his continual stream of jokes. Probably he remarked that Incatatus would do the job as well as most of the recent incumbents, and meanwhile he ordered silence in the entire neighborhood to prevent the horse from being disturbed. So, Yeah, this shows how maybe somebody who said these really weird off-the-cuff things could build up this reputation as a complete lunatic pretty quickly.
1: And another account of his strange sense of humor had him auctioning off public properties to make money and taking a sleeping senator's nods as bids for 13 expensive gladiators. But we also have probably the more famous argument, um, and we can go
0: with Roman historian Suetonius for this, who said that Caligula could not control his natural cruelty and viciousness, but he was a most eager witness of the tortures and executions of those who suffered punishment, reveling at night in gluttony and adultery, disguised in a wig and a long robe. So, yeah, that's definitely the Caligula who we're most familiar with, just the cruel, vicious tyrant of an emperor.
1: But either way, Caligula likely foreshadowed certain cracks in a still relatively new imperial system, and they pop up again and again as the system keeps producing these young, unskilled rulers who are coddled from birth and show no aptitude for leadership. Caligula craved absolute power, but he had none of the talent, responsibility, or respect that he needed to back it up. And we're gonna close with a likely apocryphal
0: quote of Caligula's, but a very disturbing one and one that sort of epitomizes that the the danger of the imperial system. He's supposed to have said to his wife, Off comes this beautiful head whenever I give the word, if only Rome had one neck. And uh yeah, putting all the power in in one man's hand, essentially, even though it's not officially like that, the emperor clearly
1: has the power in this this time. If you would like to pass judgment on Caligula, email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com and let us know what you think. You can also follow us on Twitter at in History or join our Facebook fan page. And if you'd like to find out a little more about Roman history, you can come search our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com.